0: As you're having a seat, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. When my dad was a kid, he and his uh, two younger brothers, Mike and Sam, would from time to time uh, work for a farmer down the road. Tom Koffel, old farmer Koffel, would frequently employ them, and uh, old Tom Koffel was an interesting character. Uh, He was blind in one eye. And so when they would work for Tom Koffel, he would set them up and tell them what uh, the work was for that day. And then he would take out his glass eye and he would put it on the fence post. And he would tell them, I'm watching you boys. So if you're lazy, I will know. And that just freaked them out. I mean, absolutely freaked them out. I remember hearing that story thinking, you know, I wish when my kids were little, I had a glass eye. What a great trick, right? Uh, Tom Coughlin didn't have to be physically present because his eye was there. And he was keeping an eye on them and watching them. Did you know that ancient Near Eastern kings used to do something similar? They would set up images of themselves all over their realm. And the idea was this. If they could not be physically present, their image would represent them. Their image would be watching over the people. Their image would represent... Their values, their laws, their regulations, their authorities, their authorities, their their priorities would represent all of these things in their absence. Do you know that our God has done the same thing? In a sense, in His absence, uh, He has left something behind to represent Him and uh, His laws and His priorities and His values. You know what God has left behind? You and me. Uh, And us. We are God's leave behind to represent him and his authority and his power and his priorities and the things that he loves on earth, in a sense, in his physical absence. I want you to read with me in Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, even, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And what is the son of man that you care for him? And yet you have made him a little lower than God. You crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. David says, When I when I contemplate the grandeur of all that you have created, and I think of myself, I think of myself individually, I think of us collectively, David says, We are so small and insignificant in comparison to you, O oh God, and yet you have crowned us with glory and honor and majesty. And you've left us behind to rule and to reign over all of your creation, to represent you on earth. God, that's more than I can even contemplate. Or as David says in Psalm chapter 139, you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I acknowledge there is something unique and remarkable and special, not just about me, but about mankind. In the theological terms, it's what we describe as the image of God. Okay. The image of God in man is absolutely And certainly one of the most important theological concepts in the entire Bible. It's introduced to us from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. God speaks. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Four times, God says, you want to know what man is? This is what man is. Man is the image of God. You want to know what's most important about man? It's the image of God. What does it mean that man is made in the image of God? I'm going to give you four things this morning that we're going to discuss. First, we have the capacity to relate to God and others. We can be in relationship with God in a way that no other creature can. and Because of that, we can also be in relationship with one another. We can reflect God's glory in our character or in our personality. We radiate God's glory in our form. The way God has made us. And the result of these three is that we have the capacity to represent God's purposes, God's plan, God's intentions, God's will, God's desires on earth. When he is not physically here, we are the representation of God. So what does it mean that we can relate to God and others? Well, John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says, this is eternal life. Remember, eternal life in John's theology isn't just duration, it's not just a long life, but it's a quality of life. As we discussed when we were talking about the Trinity, it is the life that is shared between Father, Son, and Spirit, right? That, that shared, perfect relationship is eternal life. It's life of, literally in Greek, the, that future age that we are drawn into and we get to experience because we belong to God, That's what God made us for, to to know and to experience that kind of life, eternal life, the life of God, to be drawn into the life of God. The result is, consequently, we can have deep and abiding relationship, not just with God, but with one another, because we all are made in the image of God. And so there's something that we can enjoy that other creatures can't enjoy a depth of relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, God says, It is not good for man to be alone. Now remember, God has been saying about his creation, it is good, it is good, it is. this is really good. And then he looks at man and he says, not good. Not good at all. And why was it not good? Well, certainly the job was too big for Adam to do alone, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't, wasn't just that Adam was kind of lonely. It was that Adam was incomplete. Because we are incomplete without human relationships. This doesn't mean... Singles that every person has to get married. That's not what it means. It means that as a human, to be fully human and to fully represent the image of God in you and in us, we have to be in relationships with one another. That's what we were designed for. And when we are isolated, we get weird. (laughs) When we are completely cut off and isolated... Our personality doesn't develop as it's supposed to develop. We we are not who God designed us to be. We were designed to be in relationship with God and in relationship with other men and women. And that's what fully reflects the image of God on earth. So when Adam was made, he was in the image of God, but that full reflection of the image of God was not portrayed. When Adam was alone, he was the only human. He needed to be in relationship with Eve, for the image of God in a sense to be completely represented on earth. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, of all the creatures, it's only us that can be in personal, intimate relationship with God and a personal, intimate relationship with one another. Second, to be created in the image of God means that we have the capacity to reflect God's glory in character or in in personality, we might say. Uh, If you are... Doing Bucky Anderson's uh, Unlocking Key Biblical Words, that's one of his favorite things to teach uh, in all of his career teaching, he loves teaching that, and you will soon hit the word glory. Uh, I know glory is one of his favorite words, and word studies is his favorite thing to teach, he will talk about glory, which means essentially in Hebrew, something that's heavy. Literally, uh, to be glorious is to be heavy. So when you glorify God, what are you doing? Well, you're, you're making God's name heavy or weighty or substantial. Because his name is substantial, and you're going out and making sure that people understand that it is substantial. But literally, it is something that is heavy. And notice I say we reflect God's glory. We don't have glory in and of ourselves. Or we don't have weightiness or or substance in and of ourselves. We have uh, borrowed glory. We are like the moon, and God is the sun. And we are reflecting or radiating who God is. God's character, God's personality, the beauty of who God is. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Instead, be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy yourselves. Also in all of your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy because I am holy. And notice notice the, the connection here. The reason you're to be holy is because you're in relationship with God. And what's the relationship? He's the father, and you're the daughter, you're the son. And because you are in relationship with him, you should reflect who he is. There should be, in a sense, a family resemblance as you move in and out of your relationships here on earth. You should look like God in personality, in character. Uh, I didn't realize this was important to me until my kids began to get a little bit older and they began to, in a sense, not reflect my, what I wanted as they interacted in the world. And I began to realize, no, there are certain things that are, that are important to me that I would say, well, to be a fisher means this, right? This is, this is how I expect you to behave because you are to be a reflection of me and you're to be a fl- reflection of your mother, It'd be a reflection of our family. And one of the things I discovered was that um, something really important to me is that my kids uh, take the initiative in relationships. That they're not passive. Right? That, that when they meet a stranger, that they reach out and they shake hands and they introduce themselves and say their name and ask the other person's name and then to begin to ask questions about the other person and draw that person out. I, I realized that was something that was really, really important to me. Or you see someone in need, and you jump in first and you help out with that person. Or you step up and you open the door. Or you help that person unload their groceries. You're, you're the one taking the initiative. And, and I finally in time discovered why that was so important to me. I didn't know but when I didn't see it, I realized that I wanted it. Right? And, and I realized part of it for me was that um, my family moved around a lot growing up. And so I was always the new kid. Yeah, I was always the new kid in school. Uh, I, 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 it would take too long for me to recount how many moves we made growing up. But, you know, several in grade school, a couple in junior high. and went to three different high schools. So, I mean, when I say I was the new kid a lot, I was a new kid a lot. And so, you know, when you're sitting in class... It's normal to not interact with one another. You're actually not supposed to, right? You got your assigned seat and don't talk and don't pass notes and so forth. So you're not supposed to be having that social interaction. But at lunchtime, you find your friends, you sit with your friends. And man, I tell you what, I eat a lot of lunches alone. That, don't feel sad for me right now because I'm fine. Like I'm not deeply scarred or anything. I'm, I'm <laughs> years of therapy. Here we are today, right? No, I'm, I'm good. Um, but... Even now, when I walk into a restaurant and I see someone eating by themselves, it is all I can do not to say, would you like to join us? I actually do. Every once in a while, I just can't help myself. You know, and usually the person is just content being by, they just need a little alone time, right? And then who is this stranger coming up? Hey, can I eat with you? You want to eat with me? You know, they don't want that, right? But there's something in me that says, I don't want that person to be alone. I've got to reach out. I've got to take initiative. I've got to help them come in the group and be part of community because nobody did that for me and you know when I moved to Dallas I began to look for a church home and I would sit in the church and I realized you know nobody's nobody's coming after me nobody's initiating with me and I got really frustrated with all these churches that I visited why is no one initiating with me and I began I got grumpy I promise you I got grumpy about these churches I'm like come on man this church stinks this church stinks. nobody nobody comes after me and and then I, I had that moment where I realized oh Why don't you initiate? (laughs) Transforming in my experience of church, I walked in and I introduced myself and I invited someone to lunch. Let's go back to the basics of of who you are, who you want to be. Well, God says the same thing about us. He says, "I want you to be holy. I want you to be different." Everyone else may be passive and wait for those to initiate with him. But I want you to be holy. I want you to be different. I want you to go after other people. I want you to be righteous and kind. I want you to be kind even to the people who, who hate you and curse you and are mean to you. Because that's what I'm like. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you forgive those who don't forgive you and you're kind to those who are unkind, those who curse you, you bless them anyway. Says, then you will be children of your Heavenly Father. Because that's what he's like. He causes the rain... And the sun, you know, it comes down, good rain and good sun comes on the just and the unjust because that's who God is. He's a good father. Be like him. Right? Because we're in the image of God, we are able to reflect the character of God as no other creature can. Now, let me illustrate. Some of you will remember this. Now, this is Andre Agassiz. Uh, back in the late 80s, he did an ad campaign for uh, Canon EOS. Rebel, And in the ad campaign, as it came out, uh, he was in the, the first ad, he was in a white tux and he steps out of a white, tux, uh, white, uh, a white limousine and he lowers his glasses and he says, image is everything. Now you remember that, right? Image is everything. And what was interesting about, I mean, this ad campaign just went, it exploded. Canon sold a lot of cameras. It was a very, very successful ad campaign. What was interesting was uh, the idea of image came to mean Basically, lack of substance, right? What matters is the image that you p- portray, not, in a sense, who you actually are. And, and one of the reasons it came to mean this is because uh, Agassi wasn't winning any tournaments at the time. He wasn't winning any tennis tournaments, uh, but he was projected to be kind of the next great player. But his career stalled, and so he, he, he was flashy, Lots of style, but no substance. And, you know, looking back, there are a lot of things that I think he regretted about this ad campaign. First and foremost is the hair, right? Um, But uh, what he regretted was people began to think of him as having no substance. And he wanted to be known as uh, a great tennis player, one who, who won tournaments rather than just showed up and looked crazy, Right? What's interesting is that's exactly the opposite concept of image in the Bible. In the Bible, the idea of image is the substance or the reality. As creatures made in the image of God, you have the opportunity to represent the reality of who God is. Third, because we're made in the image of God, we can radiate God's glory in form. Remember the word glory means something that's heavy or weighty. It also means something that is beautiful or brilliant, right? Something that's beautiful or brilliant. Now, let's go back to this idea of image again. Uh, Image, uh, the word image, occurs uh, actually 17 times in the Old Testament. And in all but two of those times, uh, it actually refers to a physical image or a physical form. Okay, the idea is this. God has given you a form. I'm talking about your body right now. God has given you a form that can actually radiate the beauty of God. God has given you a form, a body that can actually radiate the beauty of God. Let me illustrate. Book of Exodus. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone. Okay? Literally shone. And, and it shone so brightly that it frightened them. They'd never seen anything like that. Why? Because they'd never seen the glory of God. But Moses had seen the glory of God. All of the glory of God, no, just a glimpse, in a sense, just a shadow. But just that shadow was enough that it literally made Moses glow. Moses would glow. In the dark. Can you imagine? So Moses walks out of the tent in the evening and there's Moses. You know, you can follow him through camp if you don't have a lamp. I mean, he's just, he's radiating. Why? Because God gave him a body that could absorb the very beauty of God. The beauty of God is absolutely and utterly brilliant. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel's told by the angel... That in the end, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I believe the angel was speaking literally, literally, because you were designed for this, the form that you were given, the body that you were given, although it may be broken now and may not be brilliant now, that's what it was designed for and that's what it will be. You were given that form. We radiate or we can radiate God's glory in our form. The result of these three things, being in relationship with God, reflecting the character of God or the personality of God, radiating even the very beauty of God in form, results in the fact that we can represent God's purposes on earth. That's what we were designed to do, to represent the purposes of God on earth. I want you to read with me again Psalm chapter 8, verse 4. What is man that you take thought of him? And the Son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him, here it is, with glory. You crown him with weightiness, and you crown him with beauty, majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. What does it mean to rule? Well, to rule means uh, to put things in order, right? or to keep things in order. Uh, It means to create, it means to make new things, it means to create uh, ideas or to create beauty in form or in thought, to exercise dominion. This is what it means to rule over all that God has created. So let's go back again to this idea of of image as form. Image as form. God has given you a a form. And it's a form that's appropriate to the realm in which you live so that you can Represent God in this particular realm, right? Uh, God has form. We, we know uh, God does not have a body, so to speak. God is spirit, but God still has form. Philippians chapter two says Jesus, for all of eternity, the Son of God, existed in the form of God. God has a form that's appropriate to the realm in which He dwells, and it's a form that's appropriate for the the tasks in a sense that God does. And God has given you a form that is appropriate to the realm in which you live and appropriate for the tasks that he has called you to do. He has given you a physical body because you live in a physical universe, right? You have the right kind of form. Now, follow me on this. The form that you've given is able to reflect, to radiate, to represent God and who he is. So, Psalm chapter 94, verse 9, David writes, He who planted the ear does, not, does he not hear, He who formed the eye, does he not see? Two rhetorical questions, right? The answer is, well, yeah, of course. God hears and God sees. Two rhetorical questions, right? So he who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? But God doesn't have ears or eyes, right? Because God doesn't have a body per se. But God hears and God sees. With me? Context is this. There's all kinds of oppression going on in Israel. And God says, I see it, I hear it, I act upon it. And in fact, I'm the one who who by nature I can see and hear and act. I must because it's who I am. It's my character. I care about those who are oppressed and needy and downtrodden. I care about them. And so I have given you... A form appropriate to the realm in which you live so that you can be my ears and my eyes and my hands and my feet in this realm to represent what I desire and what I long for. When you care for the poor and you care for the oppressed and you create beauty and you, and you live righteously and you do all these things, you are representing me and all that I am on earth, and I've given you the right body to do just that, and I've given you the right spirit and personality to do just that, to represent me. That's, in fact, why you were made. Okay, let me put it another way. We were made to inhabit two realms simultaneously, okay, to be in these two realms simultaneously, and that is the material and the immaterial. The, the physical body, but also the spiritual person. And we were made to inhabit both of these realms at all times, together, and simultaneously. That's why God made you as God made you. So, when, when God made Adam, what did he do? Well, uh, he reached down into the dust of the earth. The word for earth in Hebrew is Adamah, from which we get the name Adam, right? So, he reaches down into the dust of the earth, and he makes The form of Adam. And I promise you, Adam was beautiful. (laughs) I mean, physically perfect. And then he breathed into him the breath of of life. That is, the spirit of God inhabited Adam. He he made spirit for Adam. And so uh, spirit and body, material and immaterial, came together and Adam became Adam. Adam became man. Okay, Body and spirit united together. That's what man is. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul will write this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? That's, that is a, really a profound statement right there. That should give you a phenomenal sense of dignity. Your body is a temple of the Spirit of God. Your body houses not just, in a sense, your immaterial man, your spirit, your mind and emotions and will and conscience that actually if you have believed in jesus christ you are the dwelling place of god wow that's why it matters what you do with your body because what you do with your body is a spiritual exercise because you're always spiritual and physical at all times that that's that's Biblical anthropology. Okay, that's a biblical anthropology. And one of the things I've wanted to emphasize in this series is uh, basically relevance, right? So uh, the issue is so what? All right, so we've just, we've kind of briefly talked through a biblical anthropology. Why does it matter? Now we've got uh, new theological data to write in the backs of our Bibles right now. Okay, we did uh, Trinitarianism and, you know, we're going to do sin later and we'll do salvation. And and now we just talked about anthropology, but so what? So what? So for a moment, what I want to do is I want to show you the relevance. I want to talk about uh, gorillas in the girls' room. Okay? I want to talk about gorillas in the girls' room. Uh, this is Harambe. If you've been uh, reading the news at all, this actually, let me say, say that differently. This was Harambe. Um, Harambe is, uh, was a 450-pound western lowland gorilla. And up until a few weeks ago, he lived in Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, hopefully you've, you've been following uh, this story. There was a four-year-old boy that somehow got into the gorilla habitat and uh, the zookeepers heard the you know, people calling out and so they rushed over the habitat and they, they called. There's a signal that they can do that calls the gorillas out of the habitat and back into the cages, but Harambe didn't respond. He got really agitated when he saw this four-year-old boy and so he went over and he grabbed the four-year-old boy and so he's got a hold of the four-year-old boy, and, and they're trying to figure out how do, we, can't, we can't go in and get him out of Harambe's arms. I mean, the zookeepers are simply not strong enough, so they thought we could tranquilize him. But if we tranquilize him, it's possible that he will not pass out before he just tears this child limb from limb. And so they shot Harambe, and they killed Harambe. They, they made a decision that the life of the human child was more important than the life of the gorilla. We can ask ourselves, well, why didn't they reason with him? Why didn't they call in, you know, hostage rescue for a Gorilla, the Gorilla hostage rescue thing, so that you know, and they could say, Harambe, you know, step step away from the boy, right? Step. We 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 want to appeal to your conscience. It's not good to hurt children. It's a it's a bad thing, and you know that, Harambe. And so we're appealing to the good side of your gorilla ness, right? Or, you know, or why didn't they? What if they threaten him and say? You know, we're going to cut off your banana allotment unless you quickly release the child, right? Uh, you know, or, or entice him and say, Harambe, we're going to offer you more bananas. We want to reason with you and, you know, and appeal to your conscience. We'll get more bananas this week. If you just release the boy, let the boy go. Well, they didn't do any of those things. Why? Because Harambe is a gorilla. Now I acknowledge we, we share a lot of genetic code with primates, but they're not human, right? And so God didn't make them in his image, right? God never said to the animals, he didn't say, oh, you are morally responsible for your, for your behavior. He, he didn't say that. He didn't expect that. We don't expect that. We expect animals to go out in the wild and they're going to kill and eat each other. And we don't say, you know, there are laws against that. <laughs> stop doing that. Stop fighting. Stop killing each other. Sharks, stop eating smaller fish. We, we, don't, we don't do that, right? They're, we don't hold them morally responsible. Why? Because they're not morally equivalent, to us. Now, interestingly, not everyone really agrees with that. So on change.org website, they, there was a petition that went out that was uh, designed to get justice for Harambe. Which I say, what does that even mean? How do you get justice for a gorilla? Because if the gorilla had killed the child, would we have said that it was a moral decision that the gorilla made to kill the child? No, we wouldn't. Why? Because it's not in the image of God. It's not in the image of God. So human rights, a okay, right to life, is more important even than animal rights. Not saying animal rights are insignificant, but they're not nearly as important because we are the only creatures made in the image of God. Okay? That's biblical anthropology in the news. Now, let's talk about the girls' room for a minute, right? Okay. Uh, who gets to go in with Wonder Woman? We would say, most of us, I would probably say just the girls, just the women, right? But that's not where our culture is moving. Our culture is saying, uh, the rhetoric is this. You were, you were assigned a gender at birth. I don't know, I haven't dug down deep enough to figure out who, who assigned it to you. I guess your parents. But they didn't really choose it either, did they? But you were assigned genetically a gender at birth. But you don't have to accept that. You can choose your gender. Right? Now, I want to say this. Hear me very clearly. Uh, If you have a friend who's wrestling with confusion over their gender, love your friend. Love your friend. Uh, Believe truth, speak truth about who they are in the image of God, but but love them. Love them. Love them and and accept them. I'm not saying accept and agree with all of the choices or how they're feeling even, but, but love your friend. And don't be surprised, men and women, that our culture thinks differently than we think. Don't be surprised because what's happening in our culture, and and I promise you it happens in every culture, (laughs) is that cultures move further and further away from God. It just takes time, but it happens, and they stop listening to the voice of God, and if you don't listen to the voice of God, you don't know who God is, and if you don't know who God is, then you can't know who you are, right? You can't because the most important thing about you and the most important thing about Your friend who may be struggling with wondering what their gender is, is that they're in the image of God. That's the most important thing. But you can't understand the image of God if you don't understand God. Because as we said when we discussed Trinitarianism, we are a reflection of the nature of God, which is Father, Son, and Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, but distinct and different. God didn't make two men or two. Two women, God made male and female, right? In the image of God, both in the image of God individually and individually uh, valuable to him, but very, very different. And so it is important to be male and it's important to be female and it's valuable. It is so phenomenally valuable in the sight of God to be male and to be female, but our culture won't understand that and won't value that. And we shouldn't be surprised at that. And we shouldn't be surprised at this discussion of, you know, who gets to go into which bathroom, which we step back and we say, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why are we even talking about that? Well, it's because we have a biblical view of God and consequently we can have a biblical view of ourselves. Right? But don't be shocked that the world doesn't see things as we see things. Instead, love and speak truth. Okay. Love and speak truth. Augustine said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, At the huge waves of the sea, at the long course of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars. And they pass by themselves without wondering. Uh, I would argue actually today that um, men and women are actually only wondering about themselves. They're starting with themselves, so to speak. They're not starting with God. They're starting with uh, that inner voice that often deceives and lies. Or they're starting with the voice of culture or family. Or friends often who are also deeply broken and these are the only voices that they're listening to. And when we turn away and don't listen to the voice of God about who God is, then we just simply cannot understand who we ourselves are. Why is that? Well, Because we're fatally flawed. Okay? We are fatally flawed. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is true. We're, we are beautiful, but we are also broken. Okay? Both are true of us. We are deeply fatally flawed. Now, I have uh, brought with me today, this is a, a vase that I bought in uh, Colorado, and uh, actually I went to the back of the store, it was a glass blowing store, and I went to the back of the store because uh, back in the shelf behind a wall, they had uh, all their stuff that was kind of flawed a little bit, and I went back and bought something from there because I'm cheap. And this was... Uh, You know, and I really got to be honest. I mean, that's just, I am, I am cheap. And that's why I I bought it cheap. But also as I was looking, I thought, you know, um, I can't afford anything else, but I want to buy something. And this is a really good illustration. Someday I'll, I'll use this as an illustration. It's the first time I've used it. I bought this thing like five years ago. Uh, and I grabbed it because it's really, it's really beautiful, but it's not quite right. That's why they put it back there. It's, it's not quite symmetrical. The, the very top is off to one side. Because apparently, you know, a new glass blower did this. And so they had to sell it at a discount. Because, you know, it still can, can do its job, so to speak. You could put flowers in it. But anybody who looks at it close says, hmm, something's not quite right. And I thought, that, you know, that's really a great illustration of us. Really beautiful. And we can sort of do our job. We can sort of represent God. But not quite, right? Not, not quite right. There's something wrong. Remember, we said to be made in the image of God means these four things: we relate to God and others, we reflect God's glory and character, we radiate God's glory and form, and the result is we can represent God's purposes, God's plan, what God's love, God loves. But I want to ask you: how well are we doing at this relationship with God? Well, for much of the world, they they reject the idea of God outright, or their faith in God is a God that they've created themselves. It's idolatry. It's not really who God is. And how about for those of us who believe in God as He actually is, as He's revealed Himself in the Word? You know, even my best quiet times, well, they come to an end. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, even when I really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best with the Lord, there are things that I'm clinging to and holding on to that I'm not actually releasing. And I can't see God face to face as I really long to. I get little glimpses of it from time to time. We're in the middle of worship and I'm really caught up into it and enjoying it. But then, again, it's gone. And how are we doing with others? Well, um, our news is completely filled with wars, right, and uh, racism and uh, divorce. On earth, we don't really do that well with one another. Reflecting God's glory and character. Um, gosh, if it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, you know, maybe one out of nine I, I did yesterday. Um, I don't. I often reflect a, a character that uh, I'd like to set aside. I often choose sin rather than choosing God. How are we doing in radiating God's glory and form? Well, um, you know, for just a few of you look better this year than you did last. But, you know, I, I stand up here and I watch you and you're just, you're just, it's going downhill, you know, uh, except for a few of you who are 18 and you're still barely on the upside, but give it a year. You know, what I mean, you're just, you're, you're racing right behind the rest of us. The form is degenerating and it's disease and it's dying. It's, kind of, it's like we're back in Ecclesiastes, right? That's depressing. How are we representing God's purposes? Well, often we just want to represent our own purposes. We want our kingdom, not God's kingdom, right? Because we are fatally flawed. Hey, we're broken. We're broken. Uh, it has been uh, it used to be say that said that you should read the Bible with one hand and then the newspaper with the other. I would say, you know, read the Bible and then see what's going on in... Uh, Art and movies and the Facebook threads and you know read read culture and read culture through the lens of the Bible. Look at it. Uh, maybe one of the things that you have noticed uh, that I have seen is that uh, these uh, dystopian novels. That's a really popular genre of fiction right now. So Divergent, Hunger Games. A couple of illustrations of those. Right. I was watching one of these um, one of these movies last night with my kids and you know I, was, I stopped in the middle. I'm like. Okay, let's have a theological moment. So I just, you know, I punch pause and so, you know, let's talk about this and let's think about this. So, you know, you think about all of the, 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 these dystopian things that the theme is kind of like this, it's, it's, um, the adults in the room have messed things up. Right? The, adu- the adults have created this chaotic and oppressive environment. But fortunately, there are some kids around or some young people around who are really pure in their motives and they're unpolluted and, and they're going to rescue us and they're going to rescue us out of that, this chaos. And, you know, my son interrupted me at that point in time. He goes, Dad, see, that's right. Your generation has done this to us. He said, he goes, you know, you've left us trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. And I mean, he starts going, well, hold on a second. I said, yes, you're right. Said, but the fact of the matter is, every generation has done that for the next generation, right? And those, those kids, they're actually not pure. They're actually uh, selfish, greedy adults in the making. And they're going to they're gonna do the same thing to the next generation after them. I said, that's, that's what's missed in this whole you know, move from dystopia to utopia because the parents are broken. You're right. We, we just saddled you with a lot of debt and chaos. I, you're right. But you're broken too. And your generation is going to do the same thing because we are all fatally, and I chose that word intentionally, we are fatally flawed. What happened to us? Now this is what happened. Uh, The first man, uh, he made a bad choice. The first woman was deceived and together uh, they disobeyed God, but uh, Adam was held responsible and we're told that they died in that day. They didn't physically die, but they were cast out of the garden, right? So they were separated from God, who is the source of life, perfect life being body and spirit, completely united and unified, but instead their spirit is separated from God's spirit. We don't have life in ourselves. Life's a gift from God. That's what it means to be alive, fully so they're separated from God. They go out of the garden. They're separated from themselves, from one another, right? Uh, they, they, they're arguing and fighting, and there's conflict, conflict in their kids. They, they, even in themselves, they don't have peace any longer, right? That's what death means. Death means separation. A few years later, they physically die, which is another separation. It's the material from the immaterial man is separated. Right? That's what death is. You know what? Death is completely and utterly unnatural for humankind. Everybody dies, and so we tend to think it's natural and normal, but it is not. Death is unnatural. We were made for life. But this is what happened. Romans 5 says, through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Or, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, as in Adam, all die. In other words, you're born dead. Zach's going to talk some more about sin in a couple weeks, but you're born dead. The reason that you commit sins is because you're born a sinner. Right, you don't become a sinner as you start sinning. You're, you're born with this bent to say, I don't need God. I don't want God. And here is our hope. Our hope is that we will actually be fully restored. Right? That's our hope. Um, in, in the Christian literature that I read these days, the, you know, kind of some of the popular stuff, I, I read it periodically. And I have to set it aside. Because especially in the sanctification literature, there's a phrase that I see. Running throughout, and it's this idea it's the real you, right? The real you, quote unquote. The real you really loves God. The real you loves others. The real you uh, longs for righteousness. The real you will do what's right. The real you, the real you, the real you. And I go, I don't even know what that means. Because you know know what the real you is? That thing sitting right in front of me, that's you, okay? Um, Your body that's beautiful, but also broken or breaking, wearing out. Um, your love for God, but also your love for self. That's you. Right. Your conscience that sometimes you just set aside and sometimes you listen to. Well, that's, that's you. Right. The inner and outer man that's it's, it's good, but also it's got this thing called the flesh that's always wanting to turn from God. That's you. That's the real you. That's the real you. So, in other words, you need to be fixed fully, completely, all of you. Your body And your spirit, your your inner man and the outer man, all of it needs to be repaired. And really that's the hope that we have, is that salvation actually touches the entire person. And touches the entirety of creation. Again, we'll talk about the doctrine of salvation in a few weeks. But uh, let me just point out a couple words that are tied to salvation. There are many analogies that are given for salvation. Uh, Two of them are regeneration and reconciliation. To be regenerated means to be born again, that applies to us spiritually right we 're born spiritually dead, our spirit separated from God. to be regenerated means our spirit is once again reunited to God, but also regeneration refers to us physically. Jesus talks about the regeneration as the future age. right The regeneration is when God puts your body right and puts all of the universe physically right, right? everything physically is also reborn, and restored. This is what Daniel is talking about. You know, in those final days, those who lead many to righteousness are going to shine like stars, literally. Wow, we will look like our perfect selves physically. We will be restored perfectly spiritually Right? In right relationship with God. That's reconciliation. Right? Born dead is also born alienated or separated. We're told that we're born as enemies of God. But we need to be friends of God. So the moment that we believe in Jesus Christ. That, that thing that separated us. The dead of our sins that made us enemies to God. That dead is removed and we once again become friends of God. Reconciled to God. But we also have the opportunity to be reconciled to one another. Men and women, this is, um, it's the hope that we hold, not just personally, right? I've believed in Jesus, and so my debt of sins is removed, and I have eternal life. It's the hope that we get to give to the world. Our our calling, church, is to show the world just a foretaste, just a foreshadowing of what it will be like when God makes mankind all that mankind was designed to be, right? We're we're to give a a little taste, a little foreshadowing of that, so when we forgive when others have harmed us and wronged us, we're like our Father in heaven. We're giving him a foreshadowing of what is to come. When we love uh, the unlovely, we love the unkind, When we take the initiative and we're not passive and waiting for others to come to us, but we reach out and we do good and we speak truth, right? And we live in community with one another, even when we don't necessarily fit naturally with personality. We say, well, I might not really like him a lot, but I can choose to love. And they see the way that we relate so differently to one another. It's this foreshadowing and this foretaste. And I will tell you, that is what our culture is longing for right now. They want to be a part of that kind of family or that kind of community, Restored humanity and what humanity was designed for originally. So let me give you uh, an application. Uh, Again, I want you to memorize a, a couple of verses this week. Psalm 139, 13 through 14. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to memorize that and meditate upon that and spend some time just giving God thanks and praising him for the way that he made you. Uh, Your body may be broken or breaking, but you still have capacities and abilities to represent God, to reflect his character. Even in a body that may not work exactly like you'd like it to work, you can still reflect the very character and nature of God and who you are. So I want you to meditate upon this truth. What does it mean for you to be made in the image of God? Second thing I want you to do is I want you to really consciously begin to look at the people around you as you walk through life this week and think of them first, made in the image of God. Okay? There's nothing more important in a sense about each and every person you see than the fact that they're made in the image of God. doesn't matter if they're black or white or yellow or red or tall or short or male or female, so much as it matters, they're made in the very image of God. And how does that change your attitude or your perspective toward them? Does it change uh, maybe the respect that you might show them? C.S. Lewis wrote, The dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Just as the Israelites were amazed at the glory of Moses, because he was brilliant and beautiful, Such will that person be, even as C.S. Lewis says, the dullest and most interesting. So as you walk through life, think made in the image of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the dignity of being the only creatures that are made in your image. That can be in a, a deep and personal and abiding relationship with you and with one another. Thank you, Father, that we have the privilege of reflecting who you are and what you love representing you on this earth. And I pray, Father, that as we do so, other men and women would be drawn into uh, this community of, of faith and trust and hope in you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you, be a blessing this week.